Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Thank you, Scott. Uh, so good to be here at Christ Church Madison. I bring really a warm hello from Emmanuel Anglican, uh, from your all of your siblings in Chicago. Um, and I want to say congratulations on the one-year anniversary as a church plant. It's incredible. Um, it's, it is a no small thing to make it to one year as a church plant and to be in the, the place of health and vitality and also willingness to follow Jesus that Christ Church Madison is at. I'm really proud of you, really proud of Scott, Marissa, uh, all, all of your leaders. Um, this is a phenomenal church, and so it, is, it was... Um, just a privilege to be able to come up here. So I'm going to tell a story a little bit about my own journey. Um, Fifteen years ago, my wife and I were attending an Anglican church, Church of the Resurrection, which sent out Christ Church Madison. I was pretty new to the, to the Anglican tradition, and at the time, um, we were about a year in when I went to my first Easter vigil service. And I remember that walking into the service I really felt like everyone else had a level of enthusiasm and a level of faith that I did not have. At the time, I was in a graduate program in biblical studies. It was a fine graduate program, really great teaching. But along the way, I had started to absorb some of the skeptical assumptions and uh, sort of the distancing between myself as a student and the Bible um, as God's Word. And some of the, some of the skepticism, some of the... Um, some of the distancing I began to absorb myself, and so that when the story of Jesus's resurrection, death and resurrection, as told through all of these beautiful readings in the Old and New Testament, I was really having a hard time stepping into the reality that everyone else was celebrating. I felt like I was kind of on the outside, like I just, I would like to believe the gospel. I would like to believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead. I would like to be able to celebrate with everyone here but I just can't. I kind of know too much to believe the gospel. I've kind of seen too much to believe the gospel. And so while everyone else was kind of like full of joy and anticipation, I felt like I was being held back, like I was being cut off, and maybe a little bit like I was above everybody else. Like maybe this was some religious fanaticism, and I'm a little bit on the outside. I'm kind of sad about that, but I'm also kind of smug about that, just in all honesty. And I wonder if, if you've ever experienced something like that, where you've been in a church, or maybe you, you've started coming here to Christ Church Madison. You want to believe the gospel, but you can't believe the gospel. Um, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to celebrate like everyone else is celebrating and lift up your hands without feeling like a total hypocrite but you've just, you know too much. Maybe you've seen too much. You've seen too much injustice. You've seen too much um, hypocrisy. And you know too much. You know too much about theology. You know too much about history. You know too much about culture to really be able to enter in with your whole heart and soul and body into the reality of Jesus and his church. And so maybe you feel like you're completely um, on the outside. And you, and you really wonder, does Jesus have anything for me? If I feel skeptical walking into this church, if I maybe bring a level of sophistication or education walking into this church, does Jesus have 
any gifts for me? Does he have any way for me to step forward? And if that's you, I want to encourage you that this is a, a wonderful Sunday to be here. We're going to look at Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, who's a very sophisticated and very skeptical man. And um, Jesus gives Nicodemus something that he gave me that night, um, which was a real open door, a real, op- a real open door to walk into the kingdom of God. Not necessarily on Nicodemus' own terms, but there was an open door, and there's an open door for you. And maybe you've never, you, you've never believed the gospel, or maybe you did once. Either way, there's a way forward, there's a way into uh, the reality of, of Jesus and his church that doesn't, um, doesn't leave behind the life of the mind. It doesn't leave behind your questions. It actually makes space for them, but it's going to help you move beyond them into Jesus' good, true, and beautiful reality. So let's turn to John 3 and unpack what Jesus might have for you and for me. The gifts of Jesus for the skeptical, for the sophisticated. We're really going to talk, with the, talk about the sophisticated first. One of the things that we're going to see here is that for the sophisticated person, Jesus offers a humbling birth. For the sophisticated person, Jesus is going to offer a humbling birth. Verse 1, John the evangelist recounts this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Really sets the tone in some ways for this conversation. Man, a member of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews, comes to Jesus. You don't get to this description overnight. This is a lifelong project. If you're going to be part of the elite circle of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the Pharisees, it starts when you're at age five in Torah class. So you can even imagine with me Nicodemus at age five in Torah class, like shooting up his hand um, with um, all kinds of precocious attitude, answering all of the questions uh, correctly and and you could just even imagine, you know, Nicodemus's teacher bringing alongside his parents, kind of taking them to the side and being like, you know, you have a very gifted son. You should put him in the advanced class. I have a special tutor. You should get him in the advanced school. You know, the advanced preschool, the advanced kindergarten. You should really move him along in the Torah classes. And maybe by age 13, and you know, we're playing here, but um, it's not far from the truth that age 13, he could be, when he's presented to the community when he's presented in the synagogue as a, as a Jewish man, that he's reciting chapter after chapter of, of the Torah. And everyone's just so impressed. What a fine young man. And then age 21, preaching his very first sermon, blowing everyone away with how, with how uh, uh, you know, just smooth, the smooth delivery and the, the great knowledge. And it maybe even comes with a, a spirit of power. And at age 30, he's ascended to a place of reputation where the Pharisees say, you're one of us. You're one of us. And so maybe he gets the special pin or the special robe or the special tassels of the Pharisees, this elite group of Bible teachers in Jerusalem, which is the cultural epicenter of the Jewish people. And then age 50, the crown, you know, the crowning really reality of Nicodemus's life could have been when he became what Jesus called him in verse 10. You look, look at verse 10, Jesus himself says, are you the teacher of Israel? Isn't that interesting? I mean, Jesus Christ looks at this man and says, I mean, you're the teacher in Israel. It doesn't call him a teacher in Israel. In all of Jerusalem, 
Nicodemus was the premier headliner Bible teacher in all of Jerusalem, and that if you wanted to pack the seats, you brought in Nicodemus uh, to close the conference out. Uh, This man has incredible layers of sophistication, knows his Bible in and out, and here he's going to, to bring to Jesus not only his training, but also his instincts. Because you don't get here just with training, too. You've got to have some instincts. And so look at verse 2 and just the way that Nicodemus talks to Jesus. He says, uh, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You know, it's almost like Nicodemus is an old, like, baseball scout. I mean, like, hey, we've been, we've been watching you quietly from the sidelines, and we notice you're, you're pretty good. You, you know, you might be, uh, you might be one of us. You, you might have something to offer. I'm giving you a chance here, pulling you aside. Let's have a conversation about your Bible teaching and the insights that you have from God. He's intuitive, you know. He's, uh, he's got an eye for talent, this Nicodemus. So sophisticated. So you might even uh, expect Jesus to be like, oh, you know, thank you for (laughs) this open door. Um, And let me, you know, offer some some insights about God on your terms, and we can just keep this conversation going. But Jesus completely changes the nature of the conversation with, with Nicodemus. And actually, he doesn't let his sophistication set the tone for Nicodemus's heart. Okay, so Jesus is actually going to, to offer him a way forward through this path of what we might call this humbling birth. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, like, I, like Nicodemus, I want you to listen very carefully to me. Because what I'm about to say is very important. Unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This born, uh, you could translate it either way. Born, um, I think the ESV says, born again. Uh, You could also translate it born from above. I think maybe it's a both and, but if you want to, unless you're born in a different way, we might say, you can't even see, you can't even perceive the ways of God. I mean, you know so much, Nicodemus, you have so much sophistication. But that sophistication is actually going to fall short. If you want to see God, if you want to know God, if you want to partake of the ways of God, you actually have to be born. A few years ago, uh, my, my daughter, probably four years old at the time, my daughter Mona, who makes up songs all the time, she was running through the house and singing a song she made up called, When You're Born, You're a Baby. When You're Born, You're a Baby. She's like, you know, it's like this random song. But it's like, as I thought about it, I was like, it's pretty profound, actually. <laughs> this reality is, when you're born, you're a baby. <laughs> Jesus says to Nicodemus, you want to be in the kingdom of God? you got to be born like a baby. And babies come into this world with a lot of need. Now, they have powers, the powers of sight and the powers of touch. And, I mean, they can interact. They're now a being in the kingdom of God. But unless you get born like a baby, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God. You're operating up here on the surface level of, of education and, and flesh and, and, you know, the inner ring and all this stuff, but the kingdom of God's kind of, it's overlapping with that, but it's a completely different set of rules. Um, 
Babies aren't sophisticated, but they are beloved beginners. And that's what Jesus is inviting Nicodemus into. Become a beloved beginner, Nicodemus. Get born. Become a baby. And maybe you will see, you'll begin to see the ways of God and the kingdom of God. But you've got to shed all those layers. There's just a lot of layers that are going to have to come off. A lot of buffering. (laughs) That's what sophistication tends to do, doesn't it? All these buffered... Nicodemus is um, struggling with things distancing you. Nicodemus is um, struggling with this. He, in verse 4, he said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Which is, you know, a fair question. Um, Jesus, Nicodemus is like, hey, let's just say for the sake of argument that I said yes, okay, to this humbling birth. How does it work? It's kind of a birds and the bees sort of conversation. Like, how does this actually work? And so Jesus answers him with some birds and bees sort of level knowledge. And he says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. How is a baby made in the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus is going to refer to something that we see throughout all of Scripture, from the Exodus crossing of the Red Sea all the way to the healing waters that flow from the throne of God in Revelation is that the Holy Spirit loves to set aside physical water and take people into it and do things that they couldn't do for themselves and actually makes them new creations. The Holy Spirit loves to do that. Jesus knows this, that the Holy Spirit will set apart a body of water to be like a womb as it were, where you can get born. And in that womb is nurtured all kinds of beautiful things, new life, new identity, uh, new capacities to love, um, a new future, a new hope, a heart of flesh. Things are nurtured in this womb of water. But if you're going to go into the womb, it has to be a tomb first. You have to go into that tomb. And all kinds of things have to die in that tomb when you go into that tomb. Your old identity, your old loves, any rebellion against God has to be renounced. Many things you will have to turn your back on. Not the life of the mind, that's from God. Are you kidding me? This Holy Spirit wants to set that apart. But maybe it's our attitude towards education that needs to die. Maybe it's the way we've looked to it to be our Lord and Savior that needs to die. Um, the womb has to be a tomb first. The, uh, the early church understood this passage to be a reference to the waters of baptism. And the baptismal font doubled as the tomb and the womb. And so candidates would actually come forward on Easter vigil night, confessing Jesus as Lord, renouncing old lords, renouncing old identities, renouncing old sin. And then they went into, they went into the tomb and then they came, in, came out of it a womb. Uh, with like a new life, a new future, a new family. Here's what one historian says about this process. He says, during the early years of the church, people were baptized in tubs containing extremely cold water. So they would experience a physical shock to mark the spiritual transition. Taken naked from the water, they were anointed with oil, wrapped in a white cloth, given a candle, 
and presented to the congregation as new human beings. They were like babes coming out of the amniotic fluid of Mother Church. Mm. Now, you might think that's just gross. <laughs> like, is that really what the Holy Spirit wants to do? Like, that sounds way too physical and messy to be from the Holy Spirit. Well, in the words of C.S. Lewis, don't try to be more spiritual than God. Okay? The Holy Spirit's like an artist. He loves to make new creations out of us, and his medium is water. Okay? He likes that. He just, like, that the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters, and he still hovers over the waters, and he loves to use water to make new human beings. So don't knock the Holy Spirit any more than you would knock, you know, um, an artist that uses film or or chalk, or whatever medium they really love to use, like, this is what the Holy Spirit loves to do, okay? And um, the thing is, what happens in the water is always a little bit of a mystery. And the kind of people we become is always a little bit creative and new. Like, it's never the same story twice when we go under the waters. Jesus kind of refers to this. You know, the Holy Spirit kind of does whatever he wants, <laughs> okay? But look at verses 7 and 8. Don't marvel. Like, don't get hung up on this, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind, I mean, the wind goes where it wishes. The Spirit does what he wants to do. When you go under the waters, the Holy Spirit is Lord. The Holy Spirit is Lord over the waters, and he is Lord over your new creational identity. And you are going to receive capacities from him and gifts from him and um, the fruit from him that you could not give yourself. And it's always beautiful. But it's, it's not pre-planned, and it's, it's usually not sophisticated either. Uh, so, um, I wonder if there's someone here who might be ready to receive this gift of baptism. Are you here and you know that it is time for you, like this is a season for you to prepare to go under the waters and receive a humbling birth? I think there's someone here that's ready for the Holy Spirit to, and there's a part of you that holds back you cannot do for yourself. And there's a part of you that holds back. It's the, maybe it's the sophisticated part of you that holds people at a distance, holds ideas at a distance, and uses your mind to protect yourself. But it's actually maybe time for you to begin to take steps here at Christ Church to be baptized in the year 2020, whenever the next baptism is. Easter, Easter baby. Yeah. Easter. Um, so I want to just say, you know, someone from the outside, go ahead and do it. The Holy Spirit's going to give you something beautiful. Make something beautiful of your life. And it's uh, the clothes and the identity that the Holy Spirit will give you is so much better than whatever layers of sophistication you might accumulate in this life. And he'll actually take all the things that he's given you through your you know, your, your sense of taste, uh, your education, your experience, he's going to do things with that that you couldn't do for yourself. And he's actually going to, he's going to, he's going to use it in a way that would be glorifying to God.
not necessarily glorifying to you, but certainly honoring of you, and honoring of your past, and honoring of your gifts. Um, so there's others here, though, that maybe you've been baptized, but it doesn't feel as fresh. You know, the amniotic fluids have sort of dried <laughs> for a long time. So today, today, you might be stepping forward to renew your baptism. And you can renew your baptism with prayer ministers on the sides, or maybe after the service, grab me, grab Scott, grab a leader, and say, I'd like to renew my baptism. And it might be time to confess your sins. So it's like reenacting the baptismal moment. You step forward and you say, ah, I have sins to confess, and I want to be refreshed in the waters of baptism. We'll take holy water and pour it over your head. I confessed my sins to another pastor this week, and it was as it always is, uncomfortable. My ego doesn't like confessing my sins. My heart races. My, my pride says, don't do it, don't do it, don't let them know. But um, whenever I step forward and confess my sins, I am so relieved. I feel like a new person again. The power of God's flowing through me. I feel less controlled by sin and shame and stupid things that the Lord wants to deliver us from. So maybe you're here, you want to renew your baptism Step forward, confess your sins, and receive a, re a reminder of the reality of baptism with another person in your life who can pray for you and holy water on your forehead. Don't be more spiritual than God, okay? So for the sophisticated, Jesus offers a humbling birth. For the skeptical, for the skeptical, Jesus offers a healing sign. Jesus offers a healing sign for the skeptical. I really appreciate this moment of verse 9. I wonder if you could ex appreciate it too. You know, just imagine this is, this is most likely a summary, a very short summary of what was a conversation that probably went late into the night. If you've, have you ever had one of those conversations? Really meaningful conversation about ultimate reality. It lasts for hours and hours. You're really getting into it. You're really leaning in. You know, moon is full in the sky and you're having a very intense conversation, you know, but at some point Nicodemus seems to break and just get frustrated. And so verse 9, Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Okay, how can these things be? Like Jesus is teaching him things that are beyond his capacities. Jesus is breaking all the circuits in Nicodemus's brain. He can't really control what's coming out of Jesus's mouth anymore, and he can't believe it. He can't step forward, just like I was that night 15 years ago. I like, can't believe this. And I just want to say, like, don't you appreciate here how Jesus is making space for, for Nicodemus to be skeptical? And just the grace that he has for him and like the, the kind of patience that Jesus has for him to have maybe a little bit of a like reactive moment here with Jesus. Um, like, I don't get this and, and I'm having a hard time. And Nicodemus's skepticism with his own sacrificial example, right? So he's just not going to answer Nicodemus's questions with, with theology. He's actually going to answer with his own life. And I wonder if we can pick up on that here in verse 10. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we, I mean, he's talking about himself, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Um, so in other words, like, Nicodemus, I'm living the answer that you're searching for. This is, first, this is a firsthand account of reality. 
So let's keep reading. Um, Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and yet you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Nicodemus, you may have sauntered over here from your Jerusalem villa to have a conversation about theology, but I've come here all the way from heaven to make space for you to work through your doubts. This whole conversation is marked by Jesus' sacrifice. Already, <laughs> Jesus has laid aside heavenly authority and, um, and, and access to the Father, and he has limited himself in a human body and made space for Nicodemus to have this conversation. In other words, Nicodemus is, is, is being like, how, how? He's just like, he's just like raising his hands in frustrations. How can these things be? Here's what Jesus is saying. Here, here, here's my body, here's my incarnation, and soon, here's my death. Then verse 14, he, he's going to refer to something that happened in Israel's history. Moses, as, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, so here's a, a, a story from Israel's history. Israel is on the way to the promised land. They've left Egypt. They're starting to complain about the lack of food variety in the wilderness. They're reminiscing and fantasizing about Egypt and how great it was and how much uh, variety there was in terms of cuisine. And uh, Egypt has always been symbolized by a snake. So as they're complaining, thousands of snakes emerge out of nowhere and bite everybody who's complaining. And it is all of a sudden a life and death situation. And so the Lord says to Moses, make a bronze image of a serpent, which is a symbol of their sin and complaining, and hoist it high so that everyone can see. And that then when they look up to the serpent, what do they see? They see their sin, but they also see God's mercy. They need to look up and behold. It's a life and death situation. But if they do that in faith, they'll be saved. They'll be delivered. They'll experience life. Now, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, this is not a conversation. Uh, and Jesus, even as the, the serpent was lifted high, Jesus knew, Nicodemus, I'm going to be lifted high. The Father's going to glorify me. I will give my very flesh for you. I will give my very blood for you. And it is going to be way beyond your comprehension. Skepticism is going to fall a little short in understanding the fullness of what Jesus' death will mean and what his resurrection will mean. And yet here's the thing you need to understand, Nicodemus, verse 16. Uh, God so loved the world, <laughs> okay, and he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts him, will not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. God did not send his son into the world in order to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He says, Nicodemus, here, here is love. Step into this healing sign of love. It's a sign that on the one hand you can reflect on with your mind, but you cannot fully grasp with your mind. You actually need to step into it and experience its power flowing through your veins. It's forgiveness covering your entire life and your entire past. Uh, this healing sign is, is, uh, is actually, it's, it's a way for you to move through your skepticism into something richer and deeper and even more three-dimensional. 
than ideas and questions. Um, so healing for Nicodemus and for us is not going to come ultimately through analysis. It's good to ask questions, but healing comes for the skeptic when they're actually able to move through their analysis into the three-dimensional reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, which is for the skeptical moments and my skeptical seasons has been, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's the prayer of a skeptic that Jesus encountered um, among his own circles. The local church, okay, is the place that Jesus has set apart as the three-dimensional sign that the skeptic can walk into, just as Nicodemus walked up to that rooftop, the skeptic can walk into Christ Church Madison and bring their questions, bring their frustrations, and experience the three-dimensional sign of the cross of Jesus. It's not just the symbols. Symbols are important. But really, I mean, we, the church, are the symbol. We're the living symbol of Jesus' death and resurrection. I had a, uh, some friends that hosted a skeptic in Chicago for dinner. They, uh, they kind of took her under their wing and, and just said, hey, why don't you come over and enjoy family dinner with us? It's a really simple act of sacrifice, really just making a space for someone at your table. She said at the end of the dinner, there's something here. There's something here I don't quite understand, but there's a reality, and I know it has to do with your faith in Jesus. And I, I'm tasting it tonight. I'm experiencing it tonight, and now I know that it's real. And this is a woman who had been asking questions for years. I want to say thank you to everyone at Christ Church Madison for the way that you live the healing sign of the cross here in Madison the people who come to set up chairs early on Sunday, the people who are opening their homes for your soup and bread, bread awesome soup and bread. What a, what a great name of small groups. All the soup and bread hosts, all the soup and bread, you know, um, food providers. Um, every way that you have made space for the skeptic, it's a beautiful thing. And it is the call of the local church. At the, uh, tw at the middle of the service 15 years ago, I stepped forward um, to become a member of Church of the Resurrection. And Father Eric Olson, you may know him, he's at Light of Christ, Kenosha. He was a pastor at Church of the Resurrection at the time, and he prayed for me and my wife, Laura. And as he I had not shared any of my skepticism with him and my doubts with him, but as he was praying for me, he listened to the Holy Spirit for a moment. And he said, I have a sense that you might be really struggling with doubt tonight. And he's like, I don't know if that's true. He, he presented it very humbly. But then he said, Lord, I pray that you would really deliver Aaron from his doubts and really help him worship you with his whole heart. And he anointed me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now I experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in that moment as the spiritual power of skepticism was broken. Praise be to God in that moment. And I don't know if I've ever celebrated the resurrection as exuberantly as I did. I mean, my friends were making fun of me. I was like in the front, like waving banners. It was back in the banner days. And um, I, I was so set free. I was renewed in my baptism. And, and I was actually then more able to work through all of my questions and my doubts. Um, so I want to take a moment to pray now.
as we bring all of our sophistication and our skepticism to the living God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would take whatever here could be useful by you um, to, to produce new life and um, really the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Just take it forward, Lord. And I want to, if there's someone here uh, who um, you really actually, you're ready to step forward into the humbling birth. And you've been, you've been holding Jesus at a distance. You can even, in the quietness of your own heart, um, pray a very simple prayer. I ask you to make me a new creation. I give you all my sophistication, and I want to ask you to make me a new creation. Make me born into your kingdom, Lord. I bring to you my sin, I renounce it, and I confess that you are Lord over heaven and earth. Come into my heart, make me a new creation. I commit myself to receiving baptism on Easter of 2020. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would now put a seal, a spiritual seal over all of those who have prayed that prayer and give them the faith to step forward and uh, receive prayer today from a leader or a prayer minister. Others of you here may be uh, just stuck in skepticism as I was 15 years ago, and I want to invite you to pray this in the quietness of your own heart. Lord, I have a hard time believing would you help me believe? And would you renew my faith in you? Would you uh, renew my trust in you? And would you help me move out of my questions into the love of your cross? In Jesus' name. Lord, we put all these prayers before you, and we ask that you would seal them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.